Hello and welcome to another episode of the Coder Career Podcast with myself, Cameron Blackwood. On this show, I like to interview cool people in the technology scene and let them tell their story about how they got to where they are today and what their teacher junior self. Today's guest is Joshua Mo. Joshua works in dev relations for Shuttle RS and is a massive Rust enthusiast. If you're a fan of the Primogen, you may have seen him recently review one of Joshua's blog posts, which has got quite a lot of attention. Rust is a massive trend in the web dev and general software ecosystem at the moment. So this will be a really interesting episode where I learned a lot as well. And a quick word to our sponsor, which this week is actually myself. For those who aren't familiar, I have actually launched a new platform called Startup Grad Jobs. This is a place where you can be connected with the coolest entry-level roles in startups and scale-ups currently in the UK. There are, of course, plenty of tech roles available on there, but if you do have friends or for some reason you love listening to coding podcasts when you're not a software engineer, there are non-technical roles on there as well. So do share them and do sign up for the mail list if you're interested. It's totally free for candidates. And if you're an employer at the moment, it's currently free to post any job you want. And one last bit of housekeeping, I will be hosting the next Coder Career Meetup in Glasgow on Wednesday, the 14th of June. It's at BJSS's offices and you can get your tickets for free in the link in the description. It was a great event last time, so I'm looking forward to doing one again. Big thanks to both BEIT and BJSS for organizing. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Joshua Mo. Hey Joshua, thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? Yeah, hey, um, I'm doing all right, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Thanks, not bad. Drove uh, eight hours from Somerset to Edinburgh yet, but I uh, I made oh. it. So uh, <laughs> so I'm I'm feeling fresh this morning. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm all good. So for people who haven't heard of you before, uh, or perhaps aren't particularly active on a Discord, uh, although I think you're on a Discord under a pseudonym actually, so people may not um, actually make the connection. Yeah, um, I am. I <laughs> it's a Discord account that I originally used for gaming, but um, I just started hopping in develop developer discords and stuff and just started using my real name where appropriate yeah my github is still my gamer tag so it's yeah it's yeah yeah <laughs> yeah my github is my real name and when i'm on um shuttle the company that i work for now i use my real name but other than that um yeah <laughs> so what um what, what what's your story who are you and what, what what do you do well you just said you work for shuttle but other than that at the moment i currently do admin for a private healthcare company um in litchfield filling out forms onboarding people and doing stuff like that i'm also a coach for a charity called called code bar that does like workshops and stuff for minorities and um things like that um but Anyway, before the admin job, I was also doing admin and sales for a Chinese wholesale food company. Nice. And so you're um, so you're working at uh, Shuttle now. Is that a full time thing, or are you still balancing um, that with your other? No, it, it's it's actually a part time contract. Um, my day job, as it were, isn't actually in tech at the moment. Okay, um, you got kind of a foot in both areas. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, at Shuttle, at the moment, you're doing uh, developer relations. A lot of people won't actually know what that really entails and, uh, and what that means. Yeah. Do you want to explain a little bit about um, what dev relations is, what it's like, yeah, what maybe sure. someone does day to day? So professionally speaking, DevRel is like marketing, but for developers. Um, so for example, you might be trying to promo like a new product or you're trying to educate people on how best to use your product 
or you're trying to push like an event or organize an event it is a very generalist role in terms of your responsibilities so you might be expected to promote a product or write some documentation explaining how to better use the product for example um if you are a cloud hosting company you might want to make a some documentation regarding how best to use your product for example um Vercel might make a a guide on how to make a app using Next.js, um, which is a JavaScript framework that they often promote with their stuff. So, yeah, um, it's you know it's a whole lot of things. It's not just one thing that you tied down to, but that's that also kind of makes it a little bit difficult because you kind of have to define your own boundaries within the role. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to enforce that on yourself just to make sure you know what you're doing because it can be a bit easy to get lost in, you know, all the action that's happening. Yeah, because from what I've seen, like no two DevRel jobs are the same at all. No, like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> sometimes you don't even do any coding as part of the role. And then other times you're, uh, um, you know, it's more of a support thing. And then other times it's more of a, almost a sales kind of thing. So it's a very loose job term um, in, in that respect. So uh, it's an interesting job. And I've always heard it described as um, it's almost like a, um, <laughs> like a missionary in terms of like, um, you're like, so like a religious person who goes converting people into using your, your tech stack. <laughs> you're basically kind of trying to convert people into followers of whatever <laughs> you're trying to promote. <laughs> yeah um and before you broke into uh devrel you've so something that i think actually sparked my interest in inviting you on the show was you were advising one of the other members of the discord server codecareer.com slash discord people who want to join um you were advising them about how they might go about self-teaching um and getting into the industry without having um uh, you know a qualification from uh in comp side from university or similar what would you say your secret was to getting into this industry without any kind of formal accreditation um i'm gonna be honest with you it was a lot of work um (laughs) about 10 or so years ago when i was in college i was doing a computing air level but that doesn't really like it didn't really have any effect on later on which was like a year ago when I actually started coding properly. Um, it really was just a whole lot of hard work. Um, initially, when I started, I was putting in about five to six hours per day after work, just, Oof. you know, grinding it out and sometimes um, getting in a little bit between between work sessions. So, um, but, you know, it that part is not really... The main part the main part is just being consistent and sticking to just learning like to be committed um there were quite a few times where i just wanted to like give up and just not think about it anymore because um you know it's it's tough <laughs> yeah it, it 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 is tough but it's just so worth it isn't it yeah it it really is worth it but you have to push through like a whole lot of rubbish first before you get there 
yeah, uh, yeah I, I would I, I would perhaps substitute the word rubbish for something else but we'll keep it clean for the podcast because yeah it is tough to um it is tough to, to break in yeah it's a whole lot of work a whole lot of struggle um you'll want to quit many times before you yeah. get anywhere so but it's like a mountain isn't it when you climb to the top and you look all the way down you get that feeling of satisfaction and knowing it was all worth it yeah i think you know to get to the entry level you have to climb a mountain and then to get from the entry level to anywhere else you also have to climb a mountain so you know (laughs) it's not just you know yeah there's a lot there's a lot of people out there who will try and sell a dream of how easy it is to break in and then subsequently improve and 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 climb the ranks once you are in and you know the reality of it is that it's tough i mean i think i i took a slightly different approach when i was learning to code in the sense it sounds like i did it over a longer time period but like with less time per day so i was maybe doing it you know an hour per day uh and it but it still you know it took me like a, a good sort of 18 months to get to the point where i was ready and whereas for you it took you less time um i mean as part of that process it sounds like you were really going for it like, is there anything that you would have taken uh, differently in terms of that approach? Or yeah, would you do it all I'll, again in the same way? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been so intense about it. Mm-hmm. Because n- no matter what you do, it's it's the job grind is going to be more difficult than any learning that you've done, like, before then. Because, like, you can learn React and full stack and you know mongo and whatever but um you know it's really discouraging um sometimes when you just don't hear back from companies or they tell you to run a hiring freeze or you know they've hired someone else so yeah it's um not easy at all yeah you have to develop a real sort of thick skin and a degree of resilience to um get through that first job search in particular it can be absolutely brutal i mean in, in terms of what what you learn actually like uh we threw out a couple of technologies uh that like what what was the stack you went for originally like in terms of learning has that changed at all and why did you pick it right so initially when i was first learning i was actually doing python um mm-hmm. So I was making a web scraper for work and then I moved on to making a HTTP REST yeah. API um, using FastAPI and then I used Postgres. Mm-hmm. Um, from then, um, I learned like general web development stuff. Um, and then I started using my first kind of like proper tech stack, which was like react css and like like the average junior tech stack who's trying to break into tech pretty much yeah. hey and it then... served me well since i've broken as long as i've ever had to use the basic yeah. Bro tech stack <laughs> yeah so then after that i did next js um with postgres because i tried to learn to use mongo but failed miserably and i really hated it um, I found also that the relational nature of Postgres and SQL itself um, really helped with smaller projects because you 
you don't need as much data as mm -hmm. you maybe would for Mongo because part of the appeal when you're using Mongo, of course, is the fact that you can just store like unrelated data and it will be, you know, denormalized. But with SQL, you need that kind of normalization of data because otherwise you'll just get loads of wasted space, basically. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, after that, um, I learned some PHP um, because I heard that PHP was great. <laughs> Interesting. Where'd you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> it was actually one of my friends at, at um, Code Buy. He was like, why don't you learn PHP? JavaScript Are you still is terrible. Like... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. He's, um, you know, best mate and all that. After that, I learned PHP Laravel, which is like a also a full stack kind of like framework that um, they their things the PHP way, and it was quite easy to use, but I couldn't really find anywhere to host it, um, so I had to kind of like stop using that. And then um, I came across Rust, which I really wanted to learn. I thought it was really cool. The name was really cool. I thought anyway, yeah. and then. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much how I got to hear from mm. where I was then. So, what I quite like about a lot of what you said is you ha you focused on problem first, and then finding the relevant solution to that problem and finding the right, right. tool. Yeah, like what you're talking about with the uh, tool you were using for your um, for the job uh, in your um, in 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 the in the job where you were using Python for um, for I guess some kind of automation. Uh, I've right, I, I yeah. seen. Did you end up yeah. using that um, project? Um, in, yeah, in I did. I did actually. It was literally just to get marketing data because mm -hmm. my boss wanted me to gather marketing leads manually from Yellow Pages, and of course, I don't want to do that because yeah, <laughs> uh, it, yeah. It was. I wait. Well, I used a lot of time to make a script so I could save time, but I never got to use that script again because I got blocked from Yellow Pages. Oh, so, <laughs> really? Did you get a rate limiter then? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah. Whenever I tried to use the bot after like the first few times, they got me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's interesting. I didn't even realize Yellow Pages was still going. I thought they. Uh, I Sorry, thought not Yellow Pages. Um, Yell, I think. Uh okay. So just some kind of like directory. Yeah, um, it was just and then one. Were you then... hitting that for local businesses or? Yeah, basically, um, because that company was serving like um chinese takeaways and restaurants in the west midlands area uh, okay yeah that that's that's really cool and do you know what the other aspect i like of that as well is um everyone always talks about how uh you know making a portfolio and like where to find ideas for your portfolio like that is automatically something that has a super relevant use case for like a business that actually needed to use it. Um, and you didn't even have to think about the problem because it's literally a problem your employer was facing. And something I think a lot of people are afraid of when you don't necessarily need to be afraid of it is that um, to reveal your programming skills to your day job if you're not already a programmer. Because chances are you can use it as a asset, particularly if you're learning something like Python. Uh, like a, um, I read the book, uh, Automate the Boring Stuff with Python when I was learning to code. And the amount of stuff you can take into a regular job and build scripts for it um, 
it's a win-win because the company can just think, oh, they're just adding a string to their bow when actually you're sneakily looking to go away and become a developer. <laughs> yeah, that, I think one of the main things at the moment in my day job is that um, any new software requires IT approval. And because I've been handed the company laptop, I don't really want to like, um, I don't really want to break IT policies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've all, we've all had our run-ins with IT before. See, that's yeah. why I always worked for uh, startups for as a developer, because they just let me install any old thing on the machine. Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's certain stuff that comes bundled with your machine though. So you should keep an eye out and see what you could uh, do with it. Um, <laughs> so how much coding are you doing at the moment at, um, at shuttle your uh, open source role uh pretty much daily man um not gonna lie to you i i literally um just dropped an article about creating a next.js plus rust um app using the node cli program that shuttle made um as you've probably seen already it it got featured on Hashnode, which is crazy. Yeah, really cool. Like, I <laughs> I didn't even know they were paying attention and <laughs> all that. But you know, um, at the moment I'm working on metrics and stuff, and um, that also requires coding. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a, there is a lot of stuff going on because Shuttle's like a, a small startup. They've got a small team at the moment, relatively speaking. Um, so they do kind of just need um, all hands, pretty much. Because mm -hmm. yeah. if it's a, yeah. it's a good learning experience joining yeah. a small startup, isn't it? Because you, if you do want to just get stuck into something, they'll be glad to let you rather than go yeah. through a load of red tape. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have to go through all the paperwork and all that. Yeah, exactly. And what what actually is Shuttle and what's the solution? Because I, I started playing around with it after reading right. your article the other day, actually, and it, yeah. it is really cool. Um, so Shuttle is a... They describe themselves as a Rust-native development um, cloud platform. Now, what that means is, in layman's terms, is that it makes deploying Rust web services really easy. Um, now, the current state of Rust for web services is that it's a really great um, programming language to be able to run your stuff on. Um, anecdotally speaking, there's been a lot of stories where people have needed, um, say, they could only put one or two of their web services on a container. Mm -hmm. But with Rust, they can fit met quite a few more on as well as it being more stable more performant and you know generally better performing um but basically how it works is that shuttle will let you put in annotations in your code so for example instead of having complicated config files and you know, having to go for a GUI or whatever to sort your environment variables out. You can just do it through code, um, through simply installing the crates. Well, crates in Rust are like NPM packages for anyone mm -hmm. who isn't aware. Um, so you can just install the crates, um, put the macros into the main function, and then you can just deploy. So it's just removing all this friction 
that yeah, was yeah, pr- pretty much into what is like the hottest trend in programming right now. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the main the main role for the main vision for Rust is to make deploying as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're working on a GUI at the moment that will just try and completely like blow the experience out of the water for devs, so that you know it's just as frictionless as possible. Yeah. That sounds really cool. And um, you mentioned about Rust, how you saw it for the first time and you're like, this is really cool. I even like the name. Like there is a certain alert. I know exactly what you mean. And in the last five years, I think it's been raised as the most loved programming language. First off, why why do you think that is? And secondly, if there's someone who is thinking about learning Rust, why should they learn it? Right. Okay. So... I think Rust, at its core, because of the way it's been designed, solves a lot of problems that um, you might face when you're... For example, let's say you code in JavaScript, right? Mm-hmm. Error handling in JavaScript. <laughs> like It's all Greek for the error handling. <laughs> yeah, I, crazy, I, don't, yeah. I don't need to say anything else. You, <laughs> all you have to do is just wrap everything in try-catch blocks and hope it works, right? And then yeah. if it doesn't work, you've got hell on your hands. Now, Rust um, won't allow that because, first of all, it has typing, which a lot of languages have. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, type safety is really important, of course, um, mm-hmm. just for general type enforcement, making sure things aren't the wrong type. Um, because as... Anyone who has used language without type safety knows if you try to coerce something into the wrong type, it'll just give you an error without letting you know why. Um, Also, Rust's error handling is really great because it's exhaustive. Um, You can use different kinds of um, pattern matching expressions. So, for example, you can say... um, so in JavaScript, you might say, if an API call is okay, then, you know, do the next thing. But in Rust, you could also say, let the result of something be okay. Otherwise, like, print some error or whatever. Um, which is really nice, because there are some cases where uh, you might have just a load of if statements in JavaScript. Like you might have like a, a load of early return statements, basically, but in Rust you wouldn't need to do that. Mm. And generally, um, as well, you can have like blanket implementations. So, for example, you might have a a a unit struct, right? So a struct with no fields, but then you can put an implementation on that struct to have like related functions be together so that's also really nice in terms of semantics because um obviously if you have like for example a function named add one and then another function named add two you can just have them together in a function called add numbers or something which is really nice because if you import it into another into another file you'll know exactly what you're getting instead of trying to figure out oh what like what what file am i getting this from (laughs) (laughs) 
And is there any particular, uh, like, kind of, how would people know if Rust is for them? Like, is there any particular type of developer it tends to lend itself to? As in, maybe someone that prefers the back-end work, normally tries to minimize the front-end, or someone that's more front-end heavy? How, how does it normally work? I think Rust is more for back-end developers because it's a language that requires certainty. So it's it if you are someone who needs things to be absolutely certain and you don't really like taking chances, then Rust is really for you, pretty much. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> you know, even even without that, um, there's a lot of things that benefit from what Rust has to offer. So even if you're a front end developer, you front Rust does have front end development frameworks that you can use. Um, I wouldn't say they're quite at the level that, say, React and Next.js are or Vue because mm -hmm. of the smaller ecosystem, right? But um, if you wanted to, you could pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, and something I've heard a bit about with Rust is, is WebAssembly and about how that could be coming uh, yeah. for the future of, uh, of front-end. What, what's your opinion on that? Have you come across it much? Uh, I I have some mixed opinions on that, to be fair. Um, oh, my yeah. first initial thoughts are that I think everyone thinks WebAssembly isn't ready. Um for production yet um the fact is it is being used in production at like companies like mozilla um mm -hmm. who developed firefox and a couple others as well um i think in terms of usage though it's until there's a major change in how it's perceived it it's i don't think it's going to be used too much um, mainly because a lot of people use JavaScript and have no reason to switch to WebAssembly, which mm. I can, you know, because if there isn't a problem big enough to destabilize the amount of JavaScript developers, then unless WebAssembly provides a huge advantage, then, you know, people aren't really going to um, see a need to move to it. Um, this was actually... I felt that that was actually quite evident when I posted my thread in the JavaScript subreddit um, advertising my as call. I actually got a lot of interesting opinions about, you know, um, Rust is kind of overkill for web development. People think WebAssembly isn't ready, but um, a lot of it is to do it how it's perceived rather than factual statistical differences because if yeah. you if you look on benchmarks it's like around the same for mm -hmm. example deoxys which is built on sledgehammer which is like the second or third fastest framework out of like literally everything even compared to vanilla um is built in just so you know it's not there isn't so much of a difference mm-hmm yeah, but I, I guess we, what you're saying about how it doesn't have that 
kind of real thing that pushes it over the top that's going to make so many people change their minds. I guess it's the thing like I get a lot of people saying to me about, so I'm mainly a front-end developer and I use React quite heavily. And I right. get a lot of people saying to me like, oh, but have you seen this framework and it does X, Y, Z? And it's like, okay, yes, it's like, it's like a five percent improvement. It's like everyone and everyone literally, basically in the front end ecosystem uses React. It's going to take something monumental to unseat that because there is just once you have a framework with such dominance, all the support and the tooling is going to go towards that. And for a five percent improvement, is it worth sacrificing? I would say no. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What are your thoughts on um solid solid start? I think it was that new meta framework that's come out yeah i do you know what it's funny i was playing around with it in the context of astro so it was like new framework uh inception um so i'm running astro and i wanted to do it was 10 percent time at work and so i just figured astro is great because you can try all these different frameworks within it so i had a, a to-do list that ran six different frameworks on uh on one page and it was good you know it felt like it felt very reacty, which is kind of exactly what I imagine they were going for. And if they're trying to convert React developers over to Solid, so I, I personally quite liked it. Have you used it? No, I haven't actually. <laughs> um, to be honest, I feel like front end JavaScript in general has just become kind of a bit of a minefield at the moment because of React getting like server components and Next.js considering making like spa examples with front end only it's just it's all a bit crazy out there <laughs> yeah it changes very rapidly that's the biggest thing i warn people about front end is um just how rapidly things will change versus back end and how if you're a front end developer you probably need to be a bit more in tune with what's going on because there is more of a chance of things uh changing rapidly um with back end, if there's a major change, I feel like there's more of a warning. Front end, it seems to happen just so suddenly. Um, like, yeah, and, and we are now entering a new, I think we are now entering one of those time periods where stuff has chopped up and changed a lot um, because we've gone from relative stability for a few years with React as being um, the top dog. Um, and then obviously they brought in hooks in what, 2017, 2018. And, you know, that's now over five years of, of stability, but now with next JS, uh, with next JS essentially now becoming standard because react no longer recommend themselves. Yeah, no, they, yeah, they, app. they recommend, um, next and whatnot. Yeah. So still don't, they still don't recommend Vite though, which I couldn't believe, but, um, yeah, um, I think, it looks like they are trying to move away from the SPA model. Yeah, um, I think you're right. They're kind of starting to edge more towards on the like MVC model, but yeah. like without the server and the model. Yeah, which is a bit weird, but you know, I guess I guess it is what it is. It, it seems like Next.js is almost becoming the on rails to uh, to react ruby uh and now everyone's just going to use next.js because i don't know a remix got bought by shopify seems to have dropped off the face of the earth from what i can tell it's all a bit strange i do find it a bit weird that like we're just instantly like recommending front-end developers to use react so early mm -hmm. because it's kind of like well you know you know basic javascript now so now you can start using a framework that abstracts like 95 percent of what you're doing <laughs> yeah it's a fair point um and i something i've always advised people that are learning to code is like the longer you spend 
on vanilla JavaScript as a front-end developer, the quicker you will get a job, even though chances are that job will be using something like React. You need to have the fundamentals nailed um, to be able to learn effectively the React. Like It's one of my biggest... I have a lot of regrets about how I learned to code and what I'd do differently. But one thing I don't regret is just how long I spent on vanilla JavaScript. And don't get me wrong, I was eager to move on to React, but I was really scared by JSX and uh, couldn't work it out. So that's the only reason why I didn't move on. <laughs> JSX was definitely a bit crazy for me, just trying to get through it. Um, Initially, when I was learning it, I was learning it through Free Code Camp, and they they had me on um you know class components and all that. So oh, when really? I went into yeah, it's, so at at the time they were teaching class components, mm-hmm. which was like last year August or so. But um, when I actually got into using functional components, it was really confusing because I had like no idea what I was doing. So yeah, I don't know. It changes everything. And then I think the problem is with something like React um, is you can so easily just start copying off tutorials and have something working. And there are so many things like a lot of the hooks, like stuff like use effect and use state, even though I hadn't, even though I hadn't rushed from the JavaScript, I didn't understand those concepts properly. And I kind of just muddled through them basically until I was a mid-level developer. I didn't really properly understand what use effect did yeah yeah definitely i always um advise people who are learning from any of the tutorials that i write to really you know hone in and make sure they understand everything that is going on and that's the main reason why like you know whenever i write an article or anything that like is basically essentially a tutorial make sure to put in full explanations as to what things are doing um because for example for example, um, a month ago or so, I was writing a tutorial for a basic implementation of WebSockets in Rust. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that was kind of like I wasn't using any libraries or anything, so I just had to kind of just work with the base implementation, which is um, if you're coming from JavaScript, you probably wouldn't understand it at all. So I kind of had to under like make sure to explain all the typing and everything, and uh, you know explain exactly how it kind of worked. Um, because you know no- normally in tutorials it's kind of like oh just do this, do that, and then you got the finished product right. But it doesn't really help you when you're learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I think a nice benchmark um, because everyone learns a different way. But if you find yourself, say if it's a video tutorial or it's a written tutorial with a time estimation, if you're spending, particularly for the written tutorial, if you're spending sort of three times the length of the time it takes to read or the time it takes to watch on the tutorial, you're probably going the right way about it because you're probably making notes, you're probably coding along, but you're coding along while changing certain aspects of it. So for me, the way I like to use tutorial is I will, so I, it's, I'm it's i actually going through uh, one at the moment. It's a four hour long tutorial. Um, and it's actually, it's taken me most of a day to get through a one hour portion of it just because I'm making notes on everything. And then I'm also as well writing, writing out the code, but I'm, I'm changing 
changing things so that I know it's not a one for one copy because I have to think about what's going on in each com- uh, in each component of the code. Um, and that way I'm not going to be falling into trap of just cop- copying stuff out. Like, you know, everyone who's been to school knows that the worst way to revise for your exams is to just copy out the textbook. It's the absolute worst way because you're not actually learning anything. How would you say you go about um, using tutorials? Well, I guess maybe that's changed since you started writing them as well. <laughs> well, initially in the beginning, I used to just copy everything and mm-hmm. um, not really write anything down. But as time went on, um, I started making sure that I wrote down like comment notes um, explaining exactly what certain parts of the code did. So, for example, if there was something that called an API, I made sure to write down, you know, this mm-hmm. function calls an API or this returns something that's required for this or, you know, um, th- things like that, basically. Um, yeah. Because having that kind of information really helps because when you go back to your code, you're, you're not really sure what you're doing if you, if you don't know the components are doing um so that's kind of one thing that i definitely made sure to do and then the other thing that i did was kind of just going back to the docs just to kind of reinforce my learning um because (laughs) no yeah because sometimes people are just tell you to do things and not actually explain what they do which is yeah which is something that that i've always found really annoying like um there's one creator that I watched you just said oh just just use use effect and and you know it'll render then i was like how does that how does that work like yeah i don't know what i'm doing what's that do you know what it is i always wonder if it's because people panic a little bit because they're not 100 percent certain of exactly what's going on under the hood particularly with react because like you said it abstracts a lot of stuff and i didn't know what use effect really did for ages and then there's all these other hooks that you know going on and it's yeah it's difficult um tutorials there's no substitute really for the best way to learn and i i predict you'll agree with me on this that the the best way to learn is to solve a problem and a problem find a problem first and then work out the solution tailored to that problem because that's also how you're going to code on the job yeah pretty much yeah you just have to kind of just find something you want to do and then just go out and do it um yeah there's really no substitute like no matter what no matter what kind of tutorial you can give to a to a new developer the only way they're gonna learn is just by doing it 100 yeah yeah I think that's that's words to live by and perhaps actually um, the best words to leave it on because we're rapidly approaching the uh, <laughs> sort of um, end of, end of the pod. Um, yeah. In terms of that, what uh, what other advice would you give to um, to developers? Um, be consistent. Um, try not to give up if you can. If you, and also, it's okay to have a break because, to be honest. I have seen quite a few people on Twitter say getting a job in tech is easy. It's really not. It's really yep. hard. We're all even, about realism on this show. I yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah. Even even for someone like me who got drawn, I initially actually got drawn in by one of these people saying it's really easy, but it's not. Mm. Um, and you know, keeping your mind healthy is really important because I 
can handle very intense sessions of coding but i know that a lot of people can't and you know that's okay because everyone learns differently everyone has limits you know and it's important to make sure that you are in a healthy state of mind while learning yeah preventing burnout is is so important and just understanding how you work is so critical because literally no one else no no two people are the same and that's that's why i'm glad we're moving away from that structured presenteeism nine to five kind of model um that we've had uh for all for all these years and we're finally recognizing that different people's brains work in different ways right and that, that's what makes the world a good thing <laughs> Yeah, cool. So again, thanks for coming on the show, Josh. And if people yeah, want no, to find, if, uh, yeah, my pleasure. Sorry, yeah. go on. <laughs> oh no, it's it's fine. I, I didn't want to um, say anything really, but you know, yeah, no problem. And if people want to find you uh, and keep up to date with both your work in programming uh, and what you're yeah. doing at Shuttle, what what's the best way for people to? Uh, um, so the best way to reach me is at my Twitter josh mo underscore dev or you can find me at my linkedin joshua mo um i believe you're connected with me on linkedin i am yeah and i'll follow you on twitter after this so i'll pop those links Um, i also have a github joshua dash mo dash 143 but you don't really have to follow me on there if you don't (laughs) want to like i i post the most useless stuff on there so if you see me making a repo just know it's either an example for shuttle or just an experiment <laughs> or you're just having fun out. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mate mine is mine is bizarre like the the relics people have found actually going back in there because do you know what it is you start a podcast about development and you really yeah. would think that you should probably clear out the old repos from five years ago when you get up but you don't think to do it and then suddenly listeners are finding exposed firebase keys and stuff like that (laughs) yeah um so yeah there's uh there's some interesting relics from from my past um but yeah that's uh that's really awesome then obviously as well you're uh you're actually a very active contributor on our discord um giving out lots of helpful advice so if people want to um chat with you as well you'll um i see you're often on our discord so yeah Yeah, uh, people want to find you on there as well yeah Cool. Well, again, thanks so much for uh, coming on, Josh. And uh, thanks as well to listeners for checking out another episode of The Coder Career.